PM Board Bombs. All right, welcome back to another EM Board Bombs podcast where we hope you study for boards in reality. We hope you study for hashtag EM life, one rapid podcast at a time. I'm Blake Briggs, happy to be back another week, another day, another podcast, you know what they say. We are welcoming back our team member, Marlena Wasiski-Kuhn. Good to have you again. Happy to be here. Always a pleasure. Very sorry about the Bengals. Anybody listening from Ohio, very sorry. Tough loss. It was sad, but you know, (laughs) we love our team. They'll be back. (laughs) (laughs) Marlena and I were talking about the kind Midwestern attitude people have. If this was, we're in another American city or elsewhere around the globe, there would be a different attitude probably, uh, especially with the, uh, some of the officiating concerns, but hey, hashtag conspiracy, you know, hashtag uh, NFL rigged. That was trending on uh, Twitter this morning. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so for each 15 to 20 minute episode, you gain high yield board knowledge. As we like to say, come for the stems, but stay for the content. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Ian Borbombs, also on Meta. So, we've got an awesome topic today. Let me read off this interesting patient presentation that you may have seen before in your ED. Very common. <laughs> Very classic. 67-year-old female is brought into the ED by EMS after a fall at home. She had a hip replacement about a month ago. The patient states she was attempting to feed her many guinea pigs and tripped over the cage of one of them. She actually interrupts EMS handoff to start telling you an elaborate story about her collection of guinea pigs, currently at eight. She states all of them are imported from the Andes Mountains in South America. And before you could ask her another question, she proceeds to tell you how, well, it all started in the 70s, when she was asked to watch a friend's guinea pig. And since then, she has become the local chapter president of the Domestic Cavi Club. (coughs) By the way, Domestic Cavi is the official name of guinea pig. Those of you who don't know. She's wearing a t-shirt covered in fur that reads, My cavy is cuter than yours. You decide to listen to her story while saying the occasional, "Uh Uh-huh, yep, oh yes, while looking at her leg. The patient's leg is flexed, adducted, and internally rotated. The vitals are normal. Which of the following is true regarding this patient's injury? Choice A. Anterior disruption is the most common injury pattern. Choice B. Other pelvic fractures are common with this presentation. Choice C. Sciatic nerve injury is the most common complication. Choice D. Many of these injuries are missed on initial x-ray. Marlena, what's the correct answer? The correct answer here is C. The sciatic nerve injury is the most common complication. You know what's most interesting about this question is that guinea pigs are not from Papua New Guinea, and they're not really in the pig family, the swine family. I looked up all this information about guinea pigs earlier. (laughs) I can tell. Yeah, no, I did a deep dive into guinea pig history and guinea pig lore. There's YouTube channels on it, too. So also it's interesting, if anyone's been to Peru before, which I've hiked multiple times in Peru— one of the delicacies there is apparently eating guinea pig. Yeah, it's a cuisine. Cuisine. <laughs> anyway, hey, so we're talking about hip injuries today in general. We're going to hit femoral neck fractures, intertroch fractures, and hip dislocations. The top three injuries you're going to see in a fall from standing or some type of hip trauma. So it should be an action-packed episode. Fireworks are also planned. We're sorry you can't watch it because it's a podcast, but 
uh, we'll insert the audio at the end too, so you can hear some fireworks. Hey, but before we get going, we need to talk about our Rapid Bombs podcast. And really the key here is you don't want to waste your time just studying for boards all the time. We optimize your time by teaching board pearls, but also that'll help you with hashtag EMLive, what you're going to do in clinical practice. Now, Marlena, you have a very important date coming up in about, I don't know, three weeks? I do. My my in-service, my in-training exam. Yes, the ITE or IC. <laughs> I don't know what people call it nowadays, but anyway, you got that coming up. On an unbiased opinion, how awesome is EM Rapid Bombs helping you for that? It's great. I like I listen to it every morning when I brush my teeth, so it's part of my daily routine. Yep, and Marlena is the most unbiased person here. Yeah. She doesn't work for EM Board Bombs. Uh, <laughs> she has no allegiance to EM Board Bombs. She actually doesn't run any PR for Twitter for us either. No, I definitely am not the one behind all of the social media. <laughs> I don't know who does that, but they do a really yeah. good job. You can sign up for EM Rapid Bombs at emrapidbombs.supercast.com. You can also look at the show notes of this podcast. It'll take you directly there. Try it out. And we'd love to have you on board. All right, so Marlena, why don't you delve into these type of fractures? We're going to name two very common fractures you're going to see in the emergency department regularly. And the good news is they both have very similar patterns. They both have very similar presentations. And we're going to mention some key differences, but let's delve into the high-yield features of these and what you need to do for them, how you need to work them up. Yeah, so about half of hip fractures in the U.S. are going to involve the femoral neck. So that's a fracture of the proximal femur through the neck, which naturally is connecting the femoral head with the femoral shaft. And then the other one is an intertrochanteric fracture, or the intertroch. It's also a fracture of the proximal femur, but that's located between the lesser trochanter and the greater trochanter. And that's about your other half of proximal femur fractures. What's the profile of these patients? Who are you typically seeing? Yeah, so both of these are more common in females than males due to the way that the the pelvis and the femur meet each other. And likely osteoporosis too. Also, yeah, that doesn't help, especially in your elderly patients, which is most of these people. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in the elderly, the low energy fall is your most common cause. And this is like very low energy fall from standing. In younger people, you're going to see more high energy traumas like MVCs, you know, getting smashed by a, yeah, or crushed by a forklift. Or, you know, falling off a bus station roof while dancing on top. Yeah, the classic Philadelphia (laughs) intertroke. Yeah, don't get too excited yet, Philadelphia. You have to beat... Kansas City. So let's just calm it down. Hey, so describe the exam and and there's going to be this classic board relevant finding you're going to see. And EMS is always going to tell you about it too. I've noticed whenever they bring one of these patients in from a fall from standing, their first thing is always, I didn't see any of this on their exam. And (laughs) I don't know if that happens to you too. That's the first thing they look for. (laughs) Sometimes before anything else, they're like, leg shortened. Um, (laughs) So. Oh, but they always intact. Yeah, airways intact, leg shortened. Here's a patient. It goes like that. Um, so for for displaced fractures, like I said, 
leg shortened, externally rotated. Mm -hmm. Those patients are usually in a lot of pain. That's like in their hip or their groin. You may think it's like lower quadrant initially Mm -hmm. because of how close it is to the groin. They're not the people that look comfortable. Those people are usually the ones that have the non-displaced fractures. There's not really any deformity. Sometimes these patients can walk on it and they may have like vague pain in anywhere from like their thigh to their knee to the hip, groin, buttocks. It's different. (laughs) It hits different. It's different. Hey, so it's really important to also do a neurovascular exam. It's so easy to just say, hey, move your toes. Okay, we're good. (laughs) But you should always check distal pulses and a good sensation exam, not just, can you move your great toe? Okay, we're fine. Yeah, remembering that there's a couple of different nerves in the leg and you probably want to, yeah, probably want to test sensation in more than one of those. Exactly right. Exactly right. So the other key thing here that's really important is that you need to strongly consider advanced imaging if your x-rays are negative. So especially if they're older, if x-rays are negative, you need to consider CT scan for a cult fracture, especially if the patient cannot ambulate. So what you'll do here is if they're older, you know, you get your x-rays, hey, they're negative. That's a little surprising. The patient had pain in that area. And then you attempt to walk them, they fail to walk. Well, guess what? It's time for a CT scan immediately. And that's because up to 10% of hip fractures can be missed on the initial x-ray. A lot of this has to do with positioning. Sometimes just the x-ray doesn't penetrate well enough. Also due to the osteopenia, osteoporosis, you know, in some of these patients, it's just difficult. Sometimes even body habitus and the angle of the x-ray that's done, especially if it's portable. So just keep that in mind. Strong consideration to do CT, classic board test question, and a good life pearl as well. Yeah, definitely. I've made the mistake as an intern, I thought, wow, my patient's just a wimp. He can't walk. Why would he walk? He's just being a wimp. Get I up. need to, yeah. And my attending was like, no, you need to CT his hip. And I was like, why? He's just a baby. No, he had a hip fracture. So, <laughs> so very important that you don't dismiss this as, oh, they'll feel better eventually. No, if they can't walk acutely, something happened. And you, your job is to rule it out. Absolutely. What else are you doing here when it comes to these falls? What questions are you asking? What are you investigating? Yeah, so I think in anybody that falls or even like anybody that has an MVC that they don't remember, is this mechanical or is it syncopal? Mm -hmm. You know, do you think that there was a medical cause behind the trauma? I think a lot of elderly people may be suspected to have mechanical falls when they say something like, oh, I stumbled. But it's important to ask why they stumbled if they're walking on a flat surface with their walker that they normally use and they still stumbled. You should ask a few follow-up questions to that. Right. Then you got to think about associated conditions that can happen with these. Prolonged downtime, rhabdo, that can be really terrible for the patient if you don't find it initially. Uh, and then considering head and neck trauma in all your patients, especially the elderly patients, even a fall from standing can result in significant head and neck trauma. So, you know, do your due diligence there as well. Right. And what pain control are we thinking of? Yeah, so, you know, your obvious, like, multimodal pain control, opiates, Tylenol, etc. Love some lidoderm patches. But uh, Mm -hmm. there's some really good nerve blocks you can do. The femoral or your fascia iliaca nerve blocks. There's some pretty great ultrasound tutorials out there for how to do this. And, you know, we're all familiar with the femoral anatomy anyway on ultrasound because of central lines. So this can be a very satisfying nerve block for the patient, especially when they're you know, waiting for ortho. If you're in a big trauma center and these patients can wait to even be put in in traction or 
days to go to the OR, you're going to do them a big favor with this. Also really important to diagnose hip fractures early. There's a high mortality rate with delay in operative management. All right, let's move on to hip dislocations. So the definition of a hip dislocation is, (laughs) I love this definition, separation of the femoral head from the acetabulum of the pelvis in either a posterior anterior direction. Very formal. It is very formal. Things are not in the right place, as one of my nurses told me at work one time. Yeah, that's a little, that's better for our blue collar podcast definition. (laughs) Yeah, I love how this is catching on ever since Iltafat mentioned it ASAP that we're a blue collar podcast. Um, Iltafat, the classic, you know, branding expert. So hip dislocations are an uncommon injury. There are two overarching causes of hip dislocations, traumatic and then post arthroplasty. So traumatic, really going to be MVCs. Uh, these are dashboard injuries, the classic, you know, knee hitting the dashboard and then push out posteriorly. It's associated with other fractures, though, 95% of the time. <laughs> Just So basically, every single time you see one of these, expect yeah. a fracture with it. Uh, the most common being acetabular fractures. Of course, there could be other traumatic injuries internally as well, you know, hollow viscous injury, spinal injury, of you know, et cetera. Now, the other type of hip dislocation, and this is by far the most common, is going to be post-arthroplasty, meaning you get a dislocation because you have hip replacement. Very difficult to dislocate your native hip just randomly. Um, you know, fall from standing in elderly patients that are thin and frail. Yeah, sure, maybe. But it is most common with a complication after arthroplasty due to the laxity, you know, implant positioning, improper implant choice, whatever, an impingement of the nerve. So you have 70% of dislocations occurring within the first month of arthroplasty of the hip. And about 90% of them are posterior. Why don't you delve into more of the anatomic, you know, what type of hip dislocation you have? This was one of the answer choices, by the way. Yeah, so most, the vast, vast majority of your hip dislocations are going to be posterior, about 90% of them. That's when there's like axial loading on the hip when it's in flexion and adduction. So like we mentioned, the dashboard injury where the knee hits the dash and your leg is already in that flexion adduction state. And that's going to push your femoral head back. And that's also when you get those like back of the acetab just crushed. Just crushed. Crushed. You sound like an ortho bro there for a second. <laughs> up top, up top. <laughs> I, 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 oh man, I could talk forever about the ortho bro language. It's, hey, talk about anterior dislocations. <laughs> the other 10% of your dislocations are anterior. That's when your hip is in extension and abduction, or if you have like significant posterior force where the femoral head is in the joint. Um, these can be shifted inferior as well mm-hmm. or superior. I've seen those, and they are nasty. One time I had uh, a hip dislocation, and at the, one of the places I worked, you, the rule was you had to have another physician in the room to you know, sedate. And so I called this other physician to help me sedate, and he's like, so what type of dislocation we got? I'm like, hip dislocation. He's like, oh, piece of cake. I show him the x-ray after we sedate the patient, you know, getting ready. I'm like, here's what we have to do. And he's like, what the? And it was like <laughs> this weird, you know, superior anterior dislocation at such a strange angle I've never seen before. And both of us were like, well, I guess we'll just, I don't know, try pulling on it. <laughs> we got it. But it was just very funny. Like, wasn't your classic dislocation. So some of these can be odd angles, but they're uncommon. One important note here is that just remember that hip dislocations The most common is posterior, like we said. That is the exact opposite of the shoulder. So just remember the opposite of the shoulder is the most common. Because by far, the most common 
entry pattern for a shoulder dislocation is anterior. So just remember the opposite is for the hip. Don't get confused on that on the test. Yeah, that's a good point there. So, you know, continuing onward, what is the big concern here? I know we have to relocate this because it's dislocated, obviously, but is there an urgency here? Do we, you know, call orthopedics or what's the deal here? So two different things. One we talked about in the question stem, you know, actually the correct answer here about the sciatic Mm -hmm. nerve. You worry about that femoral neurovascular bundle. Um, As the femoral head dislocates, you have all those things right there that are pretty important that can be injured um, and you don't want to allow those to have too much pressure or pull put on them for too long. Um, That's going to diminish blood supply to your femoral head and avascular necrosis can become a problem there. And that's going to be a long-term poor prognostic factor for those patients. That can actually develop within just six hours of dislocation. Um, And that's like six hours of the time of dislocation. So, you know, the patient gets to you, they fell, maybe they've been at home if they've been down for a while, they may already be past the six-hour mark for how long they've been out. Right. You know, a reduction in less than six hours, you have less than 5% of a chance of avascular necrosis. Once you get over six hours, you're over 50% chance of That's avascular insane. necrosis. That's a huge difference. The worst is when they're transferred from another hospital. Yeah. Um, I've seen that happen a good amount, unfortunately, where they transfer and they come in and it's greater than six hours and you're like, what, we're like hour nine right now and- I'm like rushing, you know, nursing staff and I'm like, this is technically an emergency. Like we need to reduce this. Like this isn't just like, oh, it's a bone out of place. This is serious. <laughs> yeah. And people may think, oh, the patient's right. been stable for nine yes, hours. Like exactly. I can see someone else. Oh, first. their pulses are intact. Yeah. yeah but no. <laughs> exactly right. All right. So the hip exam, not really important for real life here, but it was important for the test question because I purposely wrote this question with guinea pigs in mind. Just kidding. I wrote this question. <laughs> I wrote this question to fool some people because initially, I really the only reason you knew this was a hip dislocation was from the fact that they had a you know arthroplasty a month ago and also the exam. Now, sciatic nerve injuries, like we said, they occur in up to 10% of cases, probably the most common nerve abnormality, especially with posterior dislocations. And of course, you can verify this by checking with dorsiflexion of the ankle and the large toe. It'll be weak in the anterior and posterior dislocations. But obviously, doesn't really matter if you see that. You're just going to relocate the hip and check after. Yeah. So initial imaging, of course, you're doing a plain film hip, and they almost always are going to be identified on that plain film. The key here is that if they're in a trauma, not just you know fall from standing, have a hip dislocation because I had hip replacement. If they're a trauma patient, CT is extremely recommended after relocation to look and characterize the injury. Hip x-rays are just not very good at looking for subtle fractures in this area. If you have a fracture present, you're obviously going to call your orthopedic colleague. Yeah, and emphasizing something that you said there, get an x-ray, you see a dislocated hip. When do you do the CT? After. After you've reduced it. Please don't send a dislocated hip to the CT. Exactly right. So we're not going to get into techniques of reduction here. I just want to mention two of them. You know, it's kind of silly for us to like describe this. It's almost like charades. (laughs) It is. We're like describing these weird maneuvers over audio and you're probably thinking in your head like, what? What are my hands doing? (laughs) <laughs> what are my legs doing? Why are they mentioning a, a brand of rum? <laughs> anyway, so if we didn't make this clear, these patients are being sedated. You were 100% sedating every single hip relocation patient, 100% of the time. Yeah, you won't be able to get it back in if you don't. No, it's impossible. Um, so sedate these patients. Just want to make that clear. All right, so the Alice maneuver is the standing on the bed maneuver. What you're going to do here is The patient's going to be supine in bed. The physician is either going to be on the bed more commonly or standing beside the bed. 
you're going to have one assistant provide counter-traction by just pushing their hands down on the pelvis, and then you're going to hold that dislocated leg just below the knee. You're going to flex it to 90 degrees, the hip, and apply traction in line with the femur. And as the hip begins to reduce, you can extend the hip and externally rotate it to allow the femoral head to slide back into the acetabulum. Isn't it amazing how clear it is when we explain things with no video? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you could totally picture that in your head, no problem. Yes, exactly. You will never be tested on how to reduce a hip on your boards. It's just not going to happen. We're just telling you this because, uh, well, we thought we would just entertain you by <laughs> buying time before the fireworks go off. So anyway, tell us about the Captain Morgan and we'll wrap things up. The Captain Morgan sadly does not involve alcohol, but you do get to stand in a fun way. So you're going to put your patient supine. Uh, the assistant's going to stabilize the pelvis. You stand on the side of the patient's bed, put your flexed knee, Captain Morgan knee, beneath the patient's ipsilateral leg, just distal to their knee, and you put your forearm underneath the patient's knee, grabbing the ankle with your opposite hand. I can tell that you are already picturing this perfectly. Yes, this is easy. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm closing my eyes and just... <laughs> Apply upward traction with that hand behind the knee and internally and externally rotate at the ankle until the hip is reduced. So you're kind of like wiggling it back. Sounds easy. So discharge precautions. We encourage you just to go to YouTube and look up a video. There's plenty of EM resources that give you that. So discharge precautions. What you're going to do is, you know, tell them, hey, controlled motion, basically no extremes of motion, you know, no bending over to pick up things. So, and that should be avoided for four to six weeks to allow for capsular and soft tissue healing. And what you're going to do is obviously avoid certain directions. And that's really about it here. Otherwise they can walk as tolerated and they should be able to. What else you got? Anything? Uh, no. No. Okay. I'm (laughs) going to go get ready for a shift. And I'm going to sit here and listen to the fireworks. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Uh, yes, fireworks today brought to you by EM Rapid Bombs again. EMRapidBombs.supercast.com. Uh, we hope you enjoy the fireworks. Um, if you are at your home, we encourage you to burn some incense to get the smoke uh, sense of the fireworks as well, and you get the full experience, the full auditory and you know gustatory. Uh, no, gustatory is taste, isn't it? <laughs> Olfactory. My bad. Don't eat. Don't the taste incense. the smoke. It's a bad idea. Do not taste smoke. <laughs> Marlena, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. All right, bye.